Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Grow With Soul. Today I'm talking with Jessica Ace, a personal growth coach who uses an aeogram to help people release old habits and live an uncompromised life. I had seen people online on the Instagram stories talking about what their Enneagram type was, but I had no idea what the Enneagram was and I was very, very intrigued. So I wanted to get Jessica on to really talk about what it is and how we can use it. I am definitely a believer that when you're starting and running your own business, that any self-awareness you can gain will have a massive impact, not just on you, but on your work. So I was really pleased to talk to Jessica to see how we can all use this. So let's get on with it. Hi, Jessica. Hello, Kate. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? (laughs) I'm good, thank you. So yes, today is, I'm quite excited about actually, because, well, I should probably ask you, is it Enneagram? Enneagram? Yeah, it's pronounced Enneagram. Enneagram, right. (laughs) So as you can probably tell listeners, I don't know a lot about the Enneagram, but I've seen people mention it on Instagram stories and things like that. And I'm a sucker for personality testing anyway. So yeah, I was excited to just understand more about it from from you today, because that's what your work's all wrapped up in. But before we dive straight into that, can you introduce yourself to people who don't know you about your kind of business journey so far and how how you got into the Enneagram? Okay, um, so I'm a coach and a researcher by profession. And I suppose, like a lot of people, my path hasn't exactly been linear. (laughs) So I started uh, my career in the corporate world of consumer insights. And I probably did that for, gosh, about 12, 13 years, maybe. I can't remember. But the interest in the mind-body connection and healing modalities is always there. So when I wasn't working, I was attending courses and retreats and workshops and exploring And then eventually, eight, nine years ago, I came across a system called Body Talk, which in a nutshell is an energy healing modality that helps us correct imbalances in our body. But the part that fascinated me the most was how it helped us release the stored memories and belief systems and experiences that get stuck in our bodies at a subconscious level. So that was kind of the start of the whole journey. (laughs) Yes, absolutely interesting. It still fascinates me, even though I've been working with it for so long. (laughs) And then I actually left corporate, I think it was about seven years ago, to open my practice as a body talk practitioner. And then I consulted at the same time, as a lot of people do when they're starting out. So I did the, the consulting and research work for a few years alongside Body Talk. And then I just started adding modalities as I was learning new things. So I started incorporating breath work and I studied eating psychology. So started introducing that. And then my practice merged more and more into the coaching space until I eventually studied that. And I came across the Enneagram probably several years ago, but dipped in and out because 
I initially found it quite confusing and I didn't really get my type straight away. And then about three years ago, when I found a way of understanding it in a way that really made sense to me, it just, you know, when something just completely resonates and makes mm. so much sense that it, it changed the way, well, not only the way I saw my own life and the way I was showing up in my own business, but it really started having a big impact on the clients that I was working with. And so now it's actually at the heart of everything I do and any work that I do with people, we start out with an Enneagram understanding. Wowza. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about what the Enneagram actually is for anybody who's listening, who's kind of like, what the hell is this thing? So where does it come from? What's it similar to? Like, what, what, what is it? <laughs> well, in its... In its most basic sense, it, I suppose you could call it a personality profiling tool, but it's actually so much more than that because if it's used correctly and it's used with depth, it gives you this amazing framework for personal development. So that, so if I don't know if you've seen the wheel of nine different types. Is that the one on your website? Yeah, so there are different versions of it depending on the company or the organization that's working with it. But they all have nine types and they maybe just call them slightly different names. But that nine, Enya stands for nine and then the gram part stands for model or points. And those nine types really represent the different lenses with which we tend to view the world. So each of us will have a predominant lens that influences how we see things and also impacts then how we behave, how we interact, where our fears lie, what motivates us, what triggers us, where our defenses lie. So when we understand ourselves through that lens, we get a lot of clarity into what's going on for us at a deeper level, not just so that we have insight, but more importantly, so that we can actually maybe start learning to take off those particular lenses and start seeing the world in a different way. And also, of course, because we then understand that, interestingly enough, not everybody's reviewing the world with the same lens that we are. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> so we end up, I think a large part of it is also gaining a lot of empathy for other people. And that's why it can be incredibly helpful in relationships, in work context, with our colleagues, with our friends, because we just really start understanding not just ourselves but other people in a completely different way you ask the history um it's, it's quite a lot of <laughs> there's quite a lot of um, uncertainty about where it originated so if you look online there are lots of different stories about it but it seems to go right back to Pythagorean times gosh mm. and then a lot of the development on it from a psychology point of view I think was done 50s 60s 70s mm. Everything was done in the 60s and yeah. 70s, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, and we're still clinging on to that, but growing it and developing it. And I mean, people have been studying Enneagram for 20, 25 years and still learning, still developing new ways of using it. It's quite something. Mm. So it's a lot more sort of outward looking than internal looking in, in the way something like a Myers-Briggs test would be. Yeah, I think it's I think it's actually both. So any kind of outward benefits in terms of relationships, I do believe has to start with your own understanding. You know, one of the misconceptions or misuses of this kind of tool is for people to 
kind of fling their number <laughs> at somebody else and say, well, now you know how to deal with me. So just get mm-hmm. on with it. That's how I am. And, you know, bad luck. But what this is really teaching us is not just the insight around our own type, which yes, can bring a lot of relief because we realize that there's a reason behind it and we're not all completely mad. (laughs) But more importantly, it provides us with a pathway and tools for how to start living in a more complete or integrated or balanced way so that we're not just playing out our same pattern in a very habitual, repetitive, almost autopilot way we're a lot more awake to our behaviors and with that we can well we can choose differently we can we can catch those behaviors a lot sooner and we can decide that we we're not going to let them run our lives anymore mm. i think that's such a good point because this is something that whether you're doing the enneagram whether you're doing your myers briggs type or you know whatever it is where you define yourself by a value like a number or a INFJ or whatever that it becomes very easy to use that to as a justification for things and for thoughts and actions be like that's just me I can't change it Mm. so putting it together with and here's how we catch ourselves in these behaviors and here's how we actually uh, supersede them is a very important side of the coin to finding out your type I guess absolutely I mean I have to believe that people can change that's at the heart of everything that I do. And a lot of the time when we start a personal development journey or we want to learn more about ourselves, it's because there's something in our life that's not working as well as we would like it to. And we want change. We maybe want more joy. We want to be living our lives with more intention or more purpose. So that's the big benefit of using the tool is to say, okay, I have an understanding. A lot of my past now makes sense. But I'm now actively choosing that I'm tired of doing that. (laughs) That hasn't really been working for me so far. So I'm prepared to look at things differently now. So I want to pick up on something you said about how you didn't find your type straight away. And then it took a little bit of more work to actually nail that down and then start to use it and kind of unlock the gate to it for you. So I guess I'm interested because you might think that something like a test is quite empirical and then you you fill it all in and then at the end you get a definitive type but is that not the case with a neogram because we all have a little bit of the types inside us is it difficult to difficult to find your type I guess Mm. so there are two schools of thought around this in the enneagram community so the one school of thought is that you should definitely not do a test and the whole exploration is how you find your type so reading the literature finding out what you can maybe working with someone to help you figure through it and they're quite anti using any kind of typing system so I initially tried that and I found it incredibly confusing and actually quite frustrating (laughs) and I think for a couple of reasons I think part of that is that you know the literature often will show behaviors linked to a certain type and one of the important things to understand about the Enneagram is that it's actually not about behavior it's about motivation so you can have four or five people presenting with the same behavior because they are in the same environment or it's expected of them in a certain organization whatever the case may be but their motivation for doing things is very different so I think that's an important distinction so when you read up on in the literature or people's websites or books 
it can feel a little bit confusing because you can't help but read the behavioral examples and then think, well, I don't resonate with that. I don't resonate that. So I can't possibly be that type. So I think there was that part that was happening for me. But also a big part of this is uncovering your blind spots. So if you knew yourself that well, and it was that easy to, you know, you, you would know your blind spots, you'd probably be doing okay in life. Mm. So I think there might've been a little bit of that going on for me as well. So I just found it confusing. So then when I realized there was a second school of thought, which was do a test and you know not you need to choose the right test of course that's validated and and pretty accurate otherwise it's also going to add to the confusion but if you do the test which again is not somebody telling you your type because you've answered the questions yourself mm-hmm. but that can at least provide a starting point for your exploration and understanding so even when you get the test results and you read the report, there's a part of you that will say, yes, I resonate with this. No, I don't resonate with that. So you're still going through the thought process and engaging with it and, and really applying curiosity to what's coming up for you. But I just found it a much easier starting point for me personally, because at least I had something to anchor it in and to start the conversation. And so that's how I choose to work now, just because it makes more sense to me personally. Interesting. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> and the people can be quite clear on their, um, you know, on their standpoint about which is the right way to do it. But for me, honestly, this whole thing is about getting to know yourself better. So how you choose to do that, as long as it's getting you to that level of understanding and insight, then, you know, do what works for you. Wow. So, so much more to it than just taking a little test. (laughs) I actually ran a workshop yesterday and I had quite similar feedback. So people came into the day thinking, oh, it's just going to be learning about these different types and it would be quite simple. But there's so much more to it. It's got so much depth. Um, And that's why I keep learning in the space. So every time, um, you know, maybe there's a talk about the Enneagram or a different teacher or a different book, I will still learn and I will still hear about the Enneagram in such a different way because every person's got a different spin on it. Everybody's got different levels of insight or different ways of gauging with the, engaging with the material. So let's say, for example, let's kind of take it down to a more practical level. So let's say somebody has done a test, a type has popped out at the end. Where do they take it from there as a complete beginner how are some how are the kind of first things that you do once you think you've found your type and yeah let's start with there and then we'll get a little bit deeper okay so some people kind of dabble at the beginning which I think is a great starting point so they might find their type and then just read what they can about it so yeah I can share some recommended resources in terms of books or webinars or that kind of thing with you to share with your listeners that's always a good starting point because then you're just reading and getting a sense of whether you resonate and already that will start bringing up some insights or some suggestions for how you might look at things and look at yourself a little bit differently. How I choose to work with people is once they've got their test result, they actually get a full report, which is about 20 pages long. It's quite detailed. And we use that as the starting point for our session. So they go through that with a, a whole lot of journaling prompts, 
which helps them start recognizing how this pattern's been showing up for them, how it's serving them, how it's perhaps not serving them, and across a variety of areas. So maybe it's, you know, how you're showing up in your relationships. Maybe it's affecting you in your own business and causing you to hit the same blocks over and over. But the, to me, the, the value is very much in the conversations that you're having around it and the insights that you are uncovering and then taking it further, as I've said. So, you know, if you can do that on your own through a book or resources, I think that's incredible. But oftentimes you need someone to really kind of give you a different perspective or to maybe open you up to a different way of seeing things or to kind of just push you so that you're not really just falling back into the same pattern because that's going to be a natural response. Mm. We, we're all going to just tend to flop back into our own default pattern. So, for example, the workshop I had yesterday, I think that was one of the benefits that people saw was in having the conversation with other people and just sharing the thoughts, getting somebody else to ask them questions, to challenge them, to maybe open up a different perspective. So those are the two kind of starting points, I would say. Yes. And so then presuming that, as we said at the beginning, people generally start dabbling in this because they're, they've identified something that they want to change, a problem or a challenge or a struggle or whatever. So is it that they kind of use it to fix commas, that, that pattern or that problem or do you have to use it a lot more holistically and around everything in your kind of work and in your life in order to to fix that one problem that makes sense yeah I think I know what you're asking Uh, to me (laughs) when you know your type eventually and it lands and it resonates it kind of permeates into everything Hmm. it's almost like you suddenly realize a pattern that you've been playing out repetitively your entire life And once you have visibility on it, it's actually quite difficult to just forget it. Mm. So I think if you have the the right depth and level of exposure at the beginning, it's not going to just be one of those tools that you read up about once and then you put in in the cupboard and forget about until a few years later. It actually almost sits at the back of your mind Mm. a lot of the time. And for me, that's that's how I've ended up using it. So you know, it's not like I say, right, I'm having an Enneagram day. How am I going to use that to get through my particular issues today? It's kind of this awareness that's always sitting in the back of my mind. So I'll give you an example. I'm a um, type seven, which is called the enthusiastic visionary. And one of my tendencies there is that I tend to kind of avoid pain and being limited in any kind of way. And what I'll often then do is I'll use the word boring as an excuse. So this person's boring, this relationship's boring, this work's boring, the situation's boring as a way of kind of excusing myself from it and making it okay that I'm moving on to the next thing. But having understood that pattern in myself, I now realize that that's actually just a defense mechanism I'm using because I'm trying to avoid the discomfort of something that's actually quite difficult for me. And also as a type seven, I can very easily rationalize things. So I can come up with incredibly plausible reasons why that worked out perfectly well. And actually it's all for the best. Mm -hmm. But what I'm actually doing in that process is I'm completely fooling myself and maybe not admitting that it was very difficult for me. And in doing so, almost avoiding learning from the situation and doing it differently next time. So that's what I mean by almost sitting at the back of my mind all the time. Because it means that when I'm making decisions now, 
I get to be a lot more intentional about them. So for example, if I'm, maybe I'm considering signing up for a new course. As a type seven, I could easily be distracted by something new, something exciting. We're moving on to the next thing. It's intriguing me in a conceptual way. But because I know that I have this kind of gluttony for new information and more, Mm. more, more, I can really stop and think, well, hang on a minute. Is it really going to add value? Or maybe there's something else going on. Maybe I've got a little bit of self-doubt creeping in and I think that the course is going to fix that. Or maybe even I'm getting into a space where there's something difficult going on in my personal life. So by keeping myself busy and doing a course, I'm distracting myself from dealing with what needs to be dealt with at home. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So is it like, obviously, it's been a practice for you to cultivate that awareness and things. But so say when you are contemplating that course, is it something that you then you're you're contemplating, you're contemplating, and then you have to do a little, let me check in with these feelings and put them through the lens of the Enneagram? Or is it that it it's more natural in your thought process now to kind of automatically check those thoughts and feelings. I think it's become more natural now because I'm working with this material so often. Mm. So perhaps at the beginning, when I'm working with someone, I almost have to remind them to bring their attention back to how this particular problem might be reflective of their type Mm. and how they might be able to look at it a little bit differently by remembering their usual tendencies but certainly the people that have that I've worked with that have been doing it for a long time it's become a lot more integrated into their day-to-day so it's not like they have to you know pull out the book and really be conscious about it it's kind of there as this voice of just checking I suppose Mm. keeping an eye observing ourselves and it's it's not to say that the decision will ever be, well, don't do the course. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just making sure that I'm not trying to escape something or I'm trying not to move on to the next exciting thing too quickly and using boredom as an excuse when actually there's a huge amount of value to come from staying the course, you know, being present, following through on things, you know, actually mm-hmm. just giving something my whole heart for a decent period of time. Do you ever get like a, a mind blown moment? <laughs> Because I imagine early on, people get a lot of those like, oh, that's why I'm doing this. Do you ever get like hit by one of those now, even though you're so practiced in it, that you suddenly something clicks and you're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) I still do. It's funny because when I was talking about body talk and, and what an amazing modality it is, even years later after having practiced it and seeing, I don't know, hundreds, maybe even thousand clients. I would still get blown away by the shifts that I saw. So yes, I still have those insights about myself, but I suppose now I'm able to have a little bit of a laugh at it. So the the example that comes to mind is something that I've noticed actually in my current life. So feeling a little bit of discomfort around what's going on in my world and my absolute knee-jerk response is it will still be to gap it or to run away or to just not be here. And then I'll find myself researching what it will be like to go and live in Bali for two months. 
<laughs> and I'll actually go all the way through to planning it and looking at flights. And then I will catch myself and think, oh my gosh, you're doing it again. <laughs> actually just trying to not be here because you don't want to face what needs to be faced. So yes, it still happens. And I think that's quite important to remember about the Enneagram because people say to me, can your type change? And the answer is no, your type is your type. So yes, you you mature through it and maybe maybe you start integrating in a way that some of the unhealthy behaviors aren't as obvious or aren't as frequent. But my gosh, in times of stress, we definitely flop back to that core tendency. And that's when we you know, we see it in full force, but also get to maybe laugh at ourselves in a lighthearted way and just say, well, you know, there it is. <laughs> I caught it. Thank goodness. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do something differently this time. Maybe not just run away to Bali for two months. Yeah. It's, better, <laughs> it's better doing it at home than it is at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So in terms of how you work with people, so we've kind of talked quite a lot about how it can help in your life with relationships and finding those runaway behaviours and things like that. So when you work with business owners, how does that sort of shift the dynamic and, and thinking about this, particularly in terms of work and manage? Because I think with work, especially when you're working for yourself or you've got even a side hustle, that it's all very emotionally bound together in a way that it's not always as much when you are working for somebody else. So there's a lot of mess to unpick a lot of the time. So how does that kind of play out? How do you work with it in a work scenario? So I, I completely agree with you. When, you. when you work in your own business, your personal life and your working life are so wrapped up in each other. So I kind of don't separate the two, to be honest. I find that when people are dealing with belief systems that are maybe holding them back in their personal lives, they're very often the same ones that hold them back in their businesses as well. So when people work with me, they might be signing up for something going on in their personal life, but what ends up unfolding is we end up talking about their working life and vice versa. But to give you some examples, um, so I've got someone in mind who is a type two on the Enneagram, and that's called the Considerate Helper. So she's a business coach, and the Considerate Helper, as the name implies, is very generous, very cheerful, very giving. The focus of attention is very much on other people and what their needs are and how they can be of support to other people. So they very they find it quite difficult to see their own needs and their own wants, almost as if they don't really have them. So they find it quite difficult to ask for help. And a lot of the time, because they, um, they're worried that someone will say no, and that's obviously not a great feeling. Mm -hmm. But the underlying um, motivation for a type two is that they want to be liked and they want to be loved. So for this particular person as a business coach, her generosity meant that she was really overcommitting. So someone would pay her for three sessions and she'd give them five sessions. Or someone last minute would say, can you come and run the session at my house? And she would drive off for 45 minutes mm -hmm. or an hour and end up being at their house all evening. She really was finding herself, I'd say, quite taken advantage of. She was exhausted and she had also got to the point of actually feeling quite resentful because clearly this isn't a profitable business model. 
So she wasn't making much money, but she was absolutely killing herself in the process. So when she was able to understand that her big hook is being about being loved and being appreciated, she could start seeing how that was playing out in her interactions with clients. So there was one particular client that really took advantage of her. And she said she hated working with this woman. She did not want to work with her again. She had completely had enough. And she seemed pretty clear on that. But as soon as this woman came back and made her feel loved and appreciated and told her how valuable she was, how she wouldn't have been able to get as far as she had if it hadn't been for her support, Mm -hmm. how much she appreciated her, she was completely hooked back in. And next minute she was signed up to do more work with this person. So when she understood this pattern, it was completely eye-opening for her because then suddenly she could see how it was affecting her. And we could spend quite a lot of time working on her concept of appreciation. We could start looking at her tuning into her own wants and needs as opposed to being so externally focused. We could start looking at how she could start bringing in clearer boundaries, how she could start bringing in a greater degree of, I suppose, personal power and assertiveness so that she was still uh, she was still engaging with people in that loving, considerate, helping way, but she was doing it from a, a much stronger place. I'm so happy for her. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the examples. I mean, there, there's so many different ones. And, you know, as you said earlier, we, we do have a little bit of each type in all of us. So, you know, a lot of people will resonate with maybe not having boundaries and a lot of people might resonate with being a perfectionist and a lot of people will resonate with you know avoiding conflict as examples but when it's your type it is such a big thing for you that you feeling that particular trigger so much more intensely than the next person and it becomes that hook that repeats itself over and over and over again so for her, you know, it's not like she's going to suddenly become this incredibly boundaried, strong, assertive, unemotional person overnight, nor would we want her to, but she just has that awareness of where she has the tendency to get tripped up. And with that, she can be quite intentional about how she goes about engaging with people, the contracts that she draws up, the time that she spends on her own, tuning into what she wants and needs, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it must have so many ramifications in terms of how you communicate with people in terms of, because you said about that increase of empathy. So that helps not only like have conversations, but also from a kind of (laughs) marketing point of view. I feel like that feels like a tenuous link, but it's not as tenuous as I think it is. But it's about everything into how you write can be better informed by having this empathy that not everybody is looking at the world in the same way that you are. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it does impact everything. So yes, how are you showing up in your job? How are you communicating with your partner? You know, I've had people having huge insights around how they then understand their children because they had figured that their kids were very different to them mm. and they couldn't figure out why. But even just trying to understand somebody else through these lenses, it does impact anything. And when you speak about marketing, for sure, um, even your interactions with your clients. So I think there's huge value in coaches or business coaches 
or anybody that's working in a service kind of role to have access to this kind of information because the way you'll deal with each of those different personalities of your clients is going to be incredibly different. So if I'm dealing with a a type three who's a competitive achiever, they're very goal-oriented. You know, they they want to get to the point. It's all about success. It's it's all about ambition. So for them, they're going to be a lot more motivated by setting goals Mm. and achieving things and tracking their progress. And it's not to say we want to reinforce that habit because a lot of the time for threes, what I'm helping them with is not be so focused on the output and the profit and the numbers and maybe bring in the more feminine energies of, you know, flow and how it feels and Mm -hmm. the joy of their job, connecting back with why they're doing it in the first place, not just about the results and how they perceived as a result of doing it. But um, if you if you understand that about the person, you're going to interact with them in a very different way. So that type three wants the goals, whereas a type four intense creative, for instance, is far more motivated by depth and authenticity. And they want to be seen as unique and they want to they want to understand things at a much deeper level. They, they want the intuition and the storytelling and the symbolism behind it. That's a very different conversation that's playing out in a session to the goal-oriented, you know, just get to the point and I'm sure we can nail this in 30 minutes. So when you, I mean, not you, because obviously every work with does do a test, but like if maybe more in your personal life, do you tend to project types onto people? Like if you're, you've got somebody in your life or that you're dealing with and you're like, you are such a type three. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I actually, I, I've, I've heard people doing that. And you know, Kate, I actually think it's quite a dangerous well, thing. That's what do. I was thinking a little bit. Like, is that like not okay? <laughs> I think it's dangerous because because Enneagram is about motivation and not behavior. So we can easily stereotype people based on their behavior, but actually that's not the important part. It's, it's why they're doing it. So I'm very hesitant to guess people's types, even people very close to me. So my sister's only very recently found out her Enneagram type, and I had a sense that she might be one of two numbers. But I didn't say anything to her and I can't say that I would have reacted to her in a a certain way because in my mind I decided she was that type. I really don't think that's helpful and I also think it's, I do think it's quite dangerous. There There is a lot of stereotyping that can happen if people aren't working with the Enneagram properly. So, you know, I've had people say to me, really ridiculous things like you you can't be a type seven because you can pay attention for long periods of time or because you you listen very well and type sevens are very scatty and flighty and well maybe maybe but maybe I'm just grown up (laughs) maybe I'm a functioning human in the world (laughs) yes maybe I've actually just learned some skills that I don't just play out the unhealthy aspects of my type but I think that part can make it hard to know your type when you're exploring it mm. because there's so many stereotypes that say, oh, you, you can, I've even had someone say to me, no, you can't be a type seven because you're, the clothes that you wear aren't bright enough. Gosh. Well, no. You know, there are also different elements to the Enneagram. You know, the nine types are just the starting point. There are also subtypes and tri-types, which I won't get into now. 
but it's not a it's not a simplistic system and there's no black and white there's scales of everything there's layers there's nuances to everything and I guess that's that thing that everybody does in every sort of sphere of work and knowledge is that they want to have it absolutely right and here's the formula and I can tick it all off and it all fits whereas it's as you say your levels of understanding will can only increase the more that you learn and that the more that you learn the more that you realize there isn't really a right it's just <laughs> lots exactly. of different things all, all going together and again that's when you when you see that tendency you can actually almost see it by type as well so certain types are going to want things to be more mm. structured and ordered and more precise um, and other types actually are quite put off by something that feels quite structured so you know going back to the example of the four as an intense creative they hate the idea of being put in a box so to speak mm. and they yeah i've had type four saying oh i'm sure i'll break the algorithm and i'm you're not going to be able to type me <laughs> <laughs> but that's you know they, they they don't want to be ordinary they want to mm. be unique and special so it makes sense that that's the way they would respond yeah, that's so interesting. I was going to ask you, actually, have you ever had somebody who has found their type and either kind of gone, that's not me at all, or not liked the type that they've come out with or not resonated with it? So there, there's a saying in the Enneagram world that if you like your type, it's probably not your type. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's pushing the kind of buttons that, you know, really, really dig deep. So there's that part to it. But of course, there's always the, there's always a chance of mistyping. And depending on which kind of test you do, that will vary. They all validate it in different ways. So there's always going to be a chance of mistyping. And I think the first conversation is very much about getting agreement and clarity on whether this is the right type for someone. Mm. What I usually find is that it can take a while to digest that this is your type. So there might be aspects that are, no, I don't really resonate with this, but it's because it's maybe a little bit un uncomfortable or not mm. something that we really want to admit about ourselves. And I definitely had that when I first read my type. I kind of saw parts of it that I just thought didn't make any sense. And then after letting it simmer for a while and understanding what that really meant, I could start seeing that actually maybe it was true. <laughs> maybe I was doing that. So I think it's a process. I, I don't think we should expect ourselves to read the nine types, have one thing pop out at us, say, yes, 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 that's all completely true. And off we go, completely transformed. I mean, some people identify their type very quickly. But not everybody does. Some people take a while to really understand those different layers and to see how it's showing up in their life. So if people are intrigued and are, you know, Googling tests as we speak, what are their kind of next steps? What are some kind of key lasting things that you want them to know about the Enneagram and where can they go to explore it a little bit further? Yes, there are so many resources if you Google Enneagram, <laughs> and some of them are obviously better quality than others. Some are going to give a lot of depth and insight, and some I feel might be a little bit confusing. So maybe what I can do is I can share with you my go-to resources. Mm. So some examples of Instagrams and webinars, podcasts, books that I would recommend people start with, and maybe you can share that with the listeners. Yeah. And of course, if anybody's got 
direct questions, I'm more than happy to receive emails um, and point people in the right direction. Perfect. So I've got one last question to ask you, which is how do you grow a soul in your work and life? So I would say two things. The one is what we've pretty much covered already, and that's very much checking in with my own intentions to make sure that I'm not fooling myself along the way. That's definitely number Mm -hmm. one. And the second one is that I listen to my body because I've got a very loud inner GPS Mm -hmm. that speaks to me very boldly when I'm doing something that's not in alignment with my own truth. So what I've learned over the years is how to actually listen to that and honor that. And that's probably my biggest recommendation to people who are listening here, that if you want to grow with soul, for me, it's about getting into your body and learning to listen to its signals. Is that a type thing? I mean, I guess it's kind of, the question is, is your type everything about you? Or do you have things outside of your type? I think your type is one lens, honestly. Mm. There's so many different ways that we influence them. I mean, think of your childhood and think of your culture and think of your environment. There's so many different layers. Mm. Um, the, the listening to your body and being tapped into your kind of inner GPS, everybody has access to that. Some might tune into it and develop it at a younger age. Whereas for me, that was very much a learned skill. So if I think back to corporate days, my head and heart were incredibly disconnected. I was very unemotional, very rational, wasn't really there to make friends. And I would think some people would say eight years later, I'm quite unrecognizable. And now that listening to my body is so such a big part of my life that you know, if I get a phone call to do a piece of work that isn't a good fit I actually get a physical sensation of wanting to throw up (laughs) I mean it's that it's that intense so I wouldn't wish that on everyone it would be great if you listen to kind of quieter signals but we all have them you know if you've got pain in your jaw or you've got lower back pain or you're getting frequent chest infections or you have an injury that's not healing there's something going on and even if it's just a sensation in your body like a a throat closing up or a tightness in the chest or butterflies in the tummy. they all signals. It's all messages from our body on an ongoing basis. And what an amazing gift if we learn to listen to them. So Jessica, where can people come and ask you all the questions they've got or <laughs> read about more about your work and generally come and find and connect with you? So my website is jessicaace.com and the ace is spelled U-Y-S jessicaace.com and then I'm mostly on Instagram which is also just (laughs) yes kind of bend everything else for now (laughs) and that's also uh, just under my name Jessica Ace and if people want to drop me an email they can email me at jessica at jessicaace.com perfect thank you so much thank you All the links we mentioned and Jessica's resource recommendations will be on my website, which is simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Jessica on Instagram. I'm at simpleandseason and she's at Jessica Ace, which is U-Y-S. As always, if you have a friend who you think would really benefit from this conversation, please do send them the link and keep on sharing where you're listening to. And until next time, I hope you grow a song.